Welcome back, lads. Good to see you, boys. Yeah, thanks, mate. Good to be back. How's your week been? Oh, great. Good weather at the moment. I love this time of year. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, the it best is. this time. We're in, we're in Perth. We're coming yeah. into winter. It's got those fresh, like, clear days. Ooh, yeah. A bit cold no, at nights, which is nice, I reckon. Not yeah. too much breeze. The sea breeze isn't kicking in at yeah. 12 o'clock, blowing the Beautiful hell out of sunny anything. days. Yeah, just cracking days. You get like a 25 degree sunny day. Perfect. Sometimes a bit of swell around at this time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There hasn't been too much lately, no. uh, which is a bit disappointing. April, generally, you can get some, some good swell. Yeah. But you have turned my pool heater off uh, yeah. oh, for yeah. the winter, and now I'm jumping into the pool uh, in the mornings for my more, um, cold water immersion. Do you know what temp it is? I don't, but it's definitely colder than my cold water showers I was having during the summer because uh, the, pool was, breath away a little. the pool was warm in summer. So now, yeah, man, the, the pool is cold. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, um, but it's so invigorating. Yeah. My, my skin numbs uh, and I get out and I just I, I walk around naked an for a while. amazing feeling. And I get the water, the naked. garden hose. I get the garden hose and I, I, I spray myself to get a bit of chlorine off me. Um, and that water is freezing cold coming out of the hose. Uh, but it's such a good feeling. Yeah. I, I, I highly recommend it for people. It's a great yeah. way to start your day. Mate, yeah. are you a jumper in or do you walk in? I wade in. Yeah. Yeah, I can't jump in. Yeah. Yeah, it really takes the breath away, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you get um, your head under? Yeah. 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 Um, and that even just... Mammalian... Back of the neck. Gag, not gag reflex. Yeah. I don't, I don't really suffer that with my head under, but yeah. the back of the neck. So I'll go up to the deep end to, to my you know jaw level. The back of the neck, as soon as that goes under, it just like triggers something. Mm. Yeah, it's <coughs> such a good feeling. Cool down the old brain stem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the old fella doesn't mind it, like it too much. He shrivels up. And, uh, Your dad? It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good Seinfeld episode about that. Yeah. Shrinkage. Shrinkage. Yeah. 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 It's about that cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. We're talking about regenerative farming yeah. today. So leaning, leaning into the last few episodes that we've done, maybe this is the solution to save the world. Mate. I'm often I'm often of the belief it is. Oh, but mate, that yeah. is not a big call. Oh, I totally agree with you in yeah. that call. So we're talking about regenerative agriculture. Yeah, that's easy for you to say. Rooster's just going to say regen ag <laughs> all day because he's no. struggling. All right, all right, yeah. <laughs> mate, you're right. It is the solution. Yeah, I think it is because it incorporates so many other changes which would be required to implement that. Environmental. So up, it solves so many food problems. System carbon. Carbon. You know, if that's your thing. Yep. 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 Yes. Food supply. So for people that don't know what regenerative agriculture is, let's uh, run them through it. So it's a system of farming principles and practices that seek to re- rehabilitate and enhance the ecosystem of the farm by placing a heavy premium on soil health. Mm. And there's several ways that farms can do that. But one of the major ways is having ruminants. So ruminant animals are sort of hooved, herbivorous, grazing animals, so cattle, sheep, goat, bison, elk, antelope, giraffe is a ruminant animal. Llama. Llama. Over 200 animals, but those, those ruminant animals get their nutrients from plants. They've got sort of special stomachs that ferment the plant matter. They kind of regurgitate it up. Or shit it out. Rechew it. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so they've got... So oh, is that the thing, is it? Yeah. So oh, is that why they've got two stomachs? Well, cows have got... F- is it four? Is it? Is that the definition of a ruminant? It's got more than one stomach? You've got like the monogastric... 
Yeah. And then not the yep. multi-stomach. <laughs> yeah, so they, yeah, chew the grass of the plant matter, regurgitate it up, and then sort of re-chew it. And yeah, right. There's a process. Then they shit it out, yes. Yeah, so... That's the good shit, isn't it? Yeah. That's the shit the we want. good stuff. Good so stuff. those ruminants that graze, eat, and then expel their waste... That sort of acts as a fertilizer, fertilizer, and sort of then they move around, and that pushes the fertilizer into the soil, aerates the soil with their hooves. Yeah, really, really interesting. Probably in the last what, maybe, maybe people have been doing it for a long time, maybe twenty years or so. But yeah, sort of coming in, coming into prominence now, where a lot of people are speaking up and saying this is the way that we can change our soil health and improve outcomes for animals, the environment, farmers. Because before the 50s, mate, we, 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 we got our food and our produce from local small farms. We probably pretty much were just reliant on regenerative ag at a point, weren't we? Yeah. And then yeah. there's been this fork in the road where we've gone, hey, we can use all these fucking chemicals and yeah. different It's the industrialisation of farming yeah. pretty much yes. broke away from that small farm supply to major commercialised, massive, big farms. Monocropping yeah. and... Yeah. yeah. Where, where, in, where you're producing, like back in the day with a small farm, you're probably producing uh, less quantity but better quality. Mm. Now they're producing greater, far more quality but lesser... Quant- sorry, quantity and lesser quality yeah. of, of produce. Yeah. And one of the things that is... A, a sort of a detriment or one of the things that they talk about that can't work with regenerative ag is you know the scale how do you scale yeah. this so that you can feed the planet yeah and i guess that's what those feedlots were to sort of upscale that make more money for less get enough food out to everyone but yeah. it's definitely but the food quality is less yeah and look by my comments i don't ever mean to diss farmers i have to talk utmost respect for farmers i oh, know i know awesome. farmers and they work their asses off yep but um and I, I guess australian farming is a lot different to farming in the u.s and canada yeah uh we I, I i hope that we have maybe better principles in place or better yeah. practices in place well i think a lot of our farmers are doing this anyway yeah. Because they can, the scale of the land, we've got a large land supply. Yeah. Mm. Cattle farmers can do this or be grass-fed, grass-finished, uh, organic without meaning to. You know, they're out in the, the paddock out the back. Yep. And the, one, the other thing about regenerative ag is you can use lots of different land, hills, rocky land with trees. If you look at, if anyone's driven through the Pilbara and Kimberley, in WA, their their cows just roaming. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in the desert, yeah, almost up there. You know, yeah. they're, they're a hearty animal. Yeah, and to have that scale and that large landmass allows us to have those things. So yeah. I, once again, I hope we're better than the US. Yeah, I, I was listening, and I think I mentioned this last week. On our uh, glyphosate podcast, I was listening to um, some farmers from the UK on a, on a podcast, and they they've now um, gone from traditional farming practices to regenerative re- regen agriculture. 
And they listed <laughs> the, the interviewer asked them what were the major problems with modern industrial farming, and they listed a few things. They said that their their yields had plateaued. So over a, a couple of decades, the, the yield that they were receiving had plateaued. Their their growing costs had grown exponentially. So high growing costs, uh, a reliance and an expense on chemicals. Um, they also listed soil degradation as one of the major problems of of modern farming. Um, and I found, found that interesting and, and made me have a bit of a, a bit of a look into traditional industrial type farming and it's it's expected that um, the food sector and we talked about different sectors in our um, climate change podcast a couple of weeks ago the food sector is responsible for 30 percent of uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, it produces 1.3 billion tons of food uh, uh, food waste sorry per year whilst one in ten people are undernourished. And a lot of that food that gets produced does go to waste. Uh, the, the farmers also mentioned that previously before they transitioned into regenerative agriculture, they were working against nature. They just said that for 100 years of farming, we've, we've attempted to fight nature to, to produce high yielding crops and so on instead of working with nature and I think the movement now with Regen Ag is to to work with nature to produce better quality food. Yeah well like you mentioned there with the issues that those farmers had with poor yields, high costs, having to use lots of chemicals and fertilizers which also increase the costs, what is one way to solve those problems and it's regenerative ag right? You, You look at the, the principles of, you know, reduced tilling, increasing the diversity of plant life, so the microbiome of the soil increases, sort of decreasing or not rotating crops or overcropping, mess with, mess with nature less, yep. essentially. So is, is, I thought rotating of crops was a good thing, so to let one paddock rest for a season or something, so they rotate a certain crop. Or maybe they're just they're rotating the type of crop. Sorry, crop covers. Yeah, so rotating yeah. and having crop cover. Gotcha. As yep. in, you know, letting grasses grow. Yeah. Letting weeds grow. Yeah. Uh, so that then, when the when the rain comes, it doesn't wash away because you know you've tilled the soil and it's killed the microbiome and it can't sink in. Yeah. Um, yeah, but rotating through paddocks. Yeah. Um, and then when when those farmers do rotate through the paddocks, they've got rich soil for possibly planting a crop, possibly having more ruminant animals in there, which then eat that grass, various different and diversities of grass. recycle the CO2 process. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So if you are ploughing and tilling the soil, one of the problems is that it erodes the topsoil. I think you talked about it in the last episode about those two farmers and having three metres of soil disappear, yeah. which seems like a crazy amount, but it doesn't really when you think about what we've done to the soil. You know, you put the same crop on it every year, you turn it over, wind comes in, blows it away, yeah, com- creates sort of bare, compacted soil that no rainwater can get into. Um, then add on top of that, your chemical and your fertilizer and your glyphosate 
yeah. usage. Yep. So if you're not tilling the soil all the time, you know, you're minimizing that soil disturbance, you're increasing the soil, the or- organic matter in the soil, the ability for that soil to hold water, which increases plant growth. You, you're sequestering carbon from the atmosphere. It's the, the plants are using through photosynthesis carbon, pulling it into the soil and then using those to create nutrients, which then the ruminant animals eat. It's a bit of a so- cycle as it, mm. as it goes through, yeah. Mate, it's almost like Mother Nature's got all this shit worked out. They did. They had it. But if you look at, you, you think about, so they've they've reintroduced some bison into wetlands uh, where they'd, in, in America, and the whole, the whole cycle of Mother Nature returns. The bison then, not that they're the apex predator, but when things are out of whack, those predators can come in and I think they had excess numbers of, I think they did it also at Yellowstone National Park where they reintroduced wolves. Oh, yeah. And then the wolves, so oh, yeah, when there that. wasn't all too many wolves, the deer got out of control because the wolves ate the deer. The deer got out of control and then um, they ate whatever they ate, the grass or whatever it was, and then that reduced the wetland's ability to hold water and there was runoff and drought. And then they reintroduced these wolves and that natural mother nature cycle came back and mm. it's almost working harmoniously. And the wolves don't get out of control and the deer don't get out of control because there's, you know, there's a flow of nature. I know it's there's crazy been a like. huge debate in the States, the reintroduction of um, some of these predatory animals, mm. uh, wolves and other things. I've heard some interesting podcasts and I've heard interesting sort of arguments for both sides. I don't have too much of an opinion on it. But from a um, Mother Nature point of view, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Like you've got this... The ancestral uh, man point of view, it does, yeah. It does. I mean, you've got these farmers coming and saying, oh, wolves come in and kill our dogs and kill our livestock and they're killing sheep and I I get that. But at the same time, um, it's the way of nature, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's hard to say, oh, nature knows best, but we're still going to control part of it. Yeah. It's like, well, if they've been there traditionally, then maybe they're supposed to be there. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but... Yeah, it's very interesting about the sort of pecking order of nature and how you take out the top dog or, you know, one of the top um, predators and... Things get out of whack. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we've done as humans, isn't it? We've messed with nature. Well, we've completely taken nature out of farming. Yeah. Now it's just this sterile process, almost this sterile soil where we're just putting in the MPK, the nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, potassium and almost nothing else. Yeah. Makes really green plants that are pretty much devoid of nutrition. Yeah. Like yeah. all the natural... Um, Levels of uh, like vitamins and minerals and stuff are just absolutely in the gutter compared to where they used to be. Yeah, and I guess as uh, ancestrally we would have um, farmed with nature, you know, before this industrial agricultural revolution, or what they call it, the green revolution after the fifties, where um, industrialization took over farming, you know, transport, farming equipment, high labour. And all the stuff we're using really is petroleum-based stuff, isn't it? So yeah. I heard this argument that like after the Second World War, we had this glut of extra petroleum and they've essentially turned this into uh, the mechanisation of farming and also the stuff we put in is essentially petroleum-based. Yeah. And so now yeah. we've got all these inputs going in. But I guess what we've, what we've seen over the few decades since that time is the separation from, from the con- to consumer and the farmer. So I, I have no idea when I go to the shop 
where my fruit and veggie come from. Whereas back in the day, we would know. So there was that connection to me as the consumer with my farmer or my provider. Now that has gone. So I live in a city, farms are located on the outskirts. They farm. I don't know how they farm. Transportation brings it to the city. I go to a supermarket. That, that food could have stayed in some sort of refrigeration process for however long. It's probably not even come from my, my local state. It's probably come interstate. Could it could even come international. From a pl- on a plane, yeah. On a plane yeah. or a cargo ship, and it's been in refrigeration for months. Then it comes onto my shelf at the supermarket. I feel it for its, you know, its texture, its ripeness, whatever. I take it home, and it doesn't taste like it used to when I was a kid. So Last three days at home. and Last three yeah. days, and then you've got to throw it out. It's um, it, there's this separation, I guess, between the consumer and our provider, our, our farmers, which I think needs, and the the regenerative agriculture brings that connection back a little. Yeah, you know, you connect more with your local, your fresh fresh market. Yeah. Um, whether that be meat provider or, or fruit and veg. Yeah. Mm. I'm with you, mate. I really respect farmers. All sorts of farmers, no matter what sort of farming you do. It's really like a noble way to make a living, don't yeah. you reckon? Like yeah. producing food yep. or a product for people that essentially sustains us. Working on the land. Working with, on the land. nature. Seems like a really honest way yep. to be. Obviously, today we're talking about like regenerative ag, but I'd, yeah, if in another life, I actually wouldn't mind being a farmer. Yeah, like, I'd often you know, thought about it if I it could. It seems like yeah. now it's extremely, um, you've got to be quite financial to be a farmer. Yep. You know, like going out and buying 100 acres for few thousand dollars and buying yourself an old till and off you go well all the it's extremely they're set up and the combine harvesters are yeah yeah millions whereas back in the day i think it was a very much a grassroots thing wasn't it like most people would live on a bit of land yeah and even on small plots um before we got into this like large scale agriculture with monocropping and stuff like that a lot of people were producing a lot of things and it was almost more like a, a trade type thing where you know maybe you only live on five acres and maybe you produce a hell of a lot of xyz and you know, Joe Bloggs down the road creates this and more of a natural sort of like community-based thing where now we've got these behemoth uh, bloody farms that are, you know, 10,000, a million acres just growing corn. Yeah. yeah. I never saw that in nature. That doesn't seem like too much of a natural thing. Yeah. And you, and you, your point there, mate, you, the word that you use was small. And, Jones, you hit this um, on the head at the start of this this discussion was the, the rev- going back to small-scale farming and it's unfortunate that small-scale farmers are the ones that have been knocked out by these multi-corporation, yeah. um, you know, massive farms. Like the, 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 the farms that produce tonnes of calorie-deficient food um, for, for the sake of profit and not for the sake of what they're producing. Mm. Uh, you've got your small-scale farmers, which they reckon uh, occur mostly in developing or non-Western countries and actually contribute to about 50% of our food. What happens with these small, um, small base farms and, and uh, regenerative farms is they do get bought out by these large corporations that see the potential for money to be made. Um, they overdevelop the land. They squeeze the local farmer out. There in lies your, your next you know, major corporate sort of farmland based on profits and not quality of, of produce, whereas the, the small farmer was actually, you know, rotating his crops he had he had animals on his farm as well um and 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 producing food in a sustainable way and he or she probably didn't produce like one crop now be like what do you farm i just farm corn or every now and then every third thing i rotate some other crop in but i guess when you had like a more of a uh, natural sort of regenerative farm you're making a little bit of everything 
Yeah. You've probably got some ruminants. Maybe you've got some poultry. Maybe you're growing some crops. Maybe you've got some trees. You know, I guess a whole is that, gamut of different things oh, because you're doing that sort of natural cycle. Whereas now it's like, oh yeah, I just grow ten thousand acres of corn. And is that are we naive to think that um, that small amount of everything probably doesn't bring enough money to the table? Is that would that be fair to say? I mean, that would be hard to make a living to sell yeah. small amounts of everything. Uh, I, I guess I, I don't know the farming economics. Yeah, well, you, you would think a large scale. Wheat crop would be more profitable, beneficial, profitable, profitable for the farmer than having that have, I don't know, 50 head of kettle, cattle on it roaming around. Mm. And then how, how often do you slaughter them and how do you slaughter them? Yeah. Do you then have to take them to an abattoir that they get done or they get sold there or, you know? And that reminds me of that um, podcast with Joe Rogan um, with uh – his his guest was Will Harris. It's oh, yeah. episode uh, eighteen uh, ninety three. I made a point of it. Was he the slow speaking guy the with slow the southern guy? accent? From yeah, the, yeah. yeah. He was interesting. White range, uh, white oak pastures. White oak pastures. Yeah. yeah. And for anyone that's interested in this, I'd really recommend having a listen to that guy. He was such a an interesting guy to listen to. Mm. But he actually said he noted that, I th- um, and from memory, it was around thirty percent his decline in profits from him going to regenerative agriculture right. and traditional farming. There you go. But yeah. he was prepared to wear that loss uh, for the sake of his his next generation of, yeah. of family coming through to, to look after the farm and, and, and still have a farm. Yeah. Uh, and also to be prepared to take that loss to produce good quality product. Yeah. yeah. And I think he'd be doing all right now. At a, at a, bene- at a, at a no detriment to the environment. So he's also looking after the environment as well by – the way he farms. Well, he's reducing carbon. Yeah, did he say he was actually sequestering carbon because he's mm-hmm. making new soil? Was that that fella? I'm sure he spoke yeah. about that. He has done previously. Because healthy soil will sequester a hell of a lot of carbon. Um, yeah, it will. Yeah. Yeah. And that again, guy. that again, I think I mentioned this on that climate change podcast, is discussed in that Woody Harrelson um, Netflix documentary. And I got the title of that because last time I couldn't Kiss remember. Kiss the Ground. It's called Kiss yeah. the Ground. <laughs> and if anyone's interested, there's a website, kissthegroundmovie, or one word, dot com. Yeah. Uh, and you can get some information on there. You can download the video from it. Yeah. Uh, even uh, they've got a, a download of the video available available for schools, for teachers to download and, and present to schools. Oh, yeah, wow. Well, that's um, good. Really, really interesting yeah. show. Uh, yeah. And Woody Harrelson, I, th- I think, speaks from the heart with this. I think it's a, a passion of his. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, definitely worth a watch. And they talk about that, the, the quality of soil and it, and it sucking in that, that CO2 back into the, yeah. into the soil. Provided you're not tilling it, spraying it, killing it. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, I actually got a few things off their website there. Did you? Kiss the ground one. Yeah, oh, yeah. About sort of the aims of. So it says, it says off their website, uh, kiss, the, kiss the ground, regenerative ag aims to capture the carbon in the soil and above ground biomass plants and reverse the current global trends of atmospheric accumulation and climate change. But it's really interesting some of the stuff, how deep some of these things go into. So there's a. Um, couple of really good docos, uh, one called Sacred Cow that I've mentioned before. Um, 2040 is another good one. But interestingly, when the cows eat, I'm probably going to butcher this, but when the cows eat the carbohydrate, which is the grass, and they're chewing it, the, there is a chemical, like a micro microorganism, that when the cow's eating that, is released from the carbon carbohydrate. So yep. 
C-H-O, whatever it is. And then that eats some of the methane in the atmosphere. Mm. So reduces the methane that is, you know, these big, one of these big greenhouse gas emitters, which is one of the arguments for or against having red meat, is that, yeah, there's too much methane. So the methane that comes from the cow is about 3% of the greenhouse gases in the world. So they talk about greenhouse gases. Yeah, I think you mentioned 30% of 30% of greenhouse gas comes from the agricultural industry. Well, only 3% comes from cows. Yeah. So it's nothing, really. Yep. And you look at transportation and the amount of greenhouse gases that that produces. Yeah. Um, you know, transporting all these monocrops around the world contributes to that. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's a crazy amount. Going back to the distance we are away from our provider. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. that's the interesting thing about this monocropping is you've got this massive supply chain. It's got all these inputs. Yeah. You've got all your chemicals. You've got all your things required to run a farm now. Or is that, uh, what was that fellow's name from the White Oaks? Uh, uh, the Will Harris. Oaks. Will Harris. Like they're making everything they need like on that property. All their inputs are coming from the property. So they're completely self-sustainable. Yeah. Whereas like these supply chains are global supporting these farms. You've got stuff yeah. coming from everywhere. You're not going to have a farm that has a glyphosate plant on there and it's got an MPK processing plant and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You've got these massive long supply chains. So everything's coming on ships, aeroplanes. If that breaks down, that's a big drama. Yeah. yeah. Huge drama. But isn't it so against the narrative that we're getting spun? You know, that, you know, climate change is because of cows and all sort of stuff. But if they really, really looked at it, they would look at the transport that you just mentioned, Smitty, with all these, the global um, uh, supply chains and stuff contributing to, with transport contributing to CO2 emissions. Whereas... I don't get how people don't see it. it it's crazy. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and uh, do whatever you want with veganism but if you want to you, you, you're not going to be able to feed the planet on plants and monocropping everything so you've got to have some option yeah and this is the, the most humane way to do it particularly if the plants are nutrient um not well not rich in nutrients mm. so if they're, if they're mass produced and the density of their nutrients is poor we're going to be able to feed the world but they're not going to be a healthy world yeah and and if you look at when when monocropping, what that does to, if we want to talk about animal activism, what that does to the insects, birds. the other birds, foxes, all those other things, that's really detrimental to them. Massively. That's not that's not discussed. Mm. You know, it's meat is bad, meat is murder because you know you're killing that cow. But if they're living in this environment for their life cycle. They're living their best life yeah. for all of their life until the last two seconds. Yep. Then they go. But then, you know, if we have that connection with nature and are thankful for that this animal is providing us the ability to gain nutrients and live, yeah, maybe we have, maybe we need to have that connection a bit more. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm sure animal activists and vegans are. I'm on the same page. Nobody wants to see animals hurt. Yeah. But this is a good way of feeding the planet, reducing carbon, uh, and being humane 
and having this animal lead a good life and then having maybe at its end, yeah, saying thank you for helping us to live. Because, I mean, we can talk about it all we want, but we're the apex predator on the planet and we are destroying the planet in a lot of ways. And if we don't sort of reconnect in that way, we can go on thinking that we're doing some virtuous stuff by screaming, you shouldn't eat meat. Well, it's interesting. You, you see the animal activists um, invading farmers' properties and accusing them of you know, animal cruelty and so on, but you don't see animal activists um, charging feedlots and that sort of thing. Have you seen those feedlots in the US? Oh. The size of those things, they take up Terrible. massive amounts of, of land and they are, it's just a dust bowl with these rows and rows and rows of prison cells where cattle are just st- standing there eating um, like uh, grains and, and, and shit corn, corn-based grains that have been processed. It's horrendous. They're the battery hens of the cow world, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's they are. exactly what yeah. it's like. They're yeah. producing shit meat. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't see any act- animal activists um, charging those places, do you? No. And, and I wholeheartedly agree with them on that topic. That is horrendous. That is, is not good for the animals so at all. Sow stalls for um, yeah. pigs and things like that. There's, yeah. there's good and bad. Battery hens, you know, that definitely bad. But I agree with you, mate. If you go back to nature and a natural cow wandering a large pasture with its herd doing exactly what it does, it's got a lifespan. It is going to die. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we, whether we think we are or not, we are the, the main... Animal predator on the planet. Oh yeah, and if we if we are thinking we're not, and that, well, we're a bit misguided. Well, I guess as a main predator, I mean that that being the main predator doesn't come into it as a farmer, does it? I mean, we 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 farm or we cultivate animals because we don't need to go out and hunt, but we can as a main predator we can still go out and hunt game and and eat eat game. But I think farming prevents us from having to be that hunter. Well, that's that's the thing. A lot of people. can't these days and won't do that and yeah. don't want to know where it comes from but they want to eat meat and that's fine that's what that i guess that's what that's what it's there for is it and you speak to a you hear a lot of people speak about um uh culling their animals uh that are on their property and um harvesting them and eating them and they feel so uh grateful for that yeah. animal you know, there's yeah. a lot of um, you can feel the, the empathy in them, and you can. You now we we know a, a guy who 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 slaughters his own animals, and he 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 bleeds it out, he harvests it, and he eats it. He shares the meat, and the, the meat tastes great, and and you and you sort of feel some sort of level of gratitude because you know where it's come from, and there's a better connection to it. Whereas just going down to the supermarket and grabbing a bit of a slab of meat under a polystyrene packet, whatever, it's just got no connection. Yeah, I think people. I think it's good for people to know where it comes from mm. um, and that maybe helps you make a decision. I don't want to eat anything from a feedlot. If, if you're a meat eater, you know, I'm not going to make that decision to eat that. I'm going to choose maybe spend a little bit more money and get something that's from a regenerative ag farm and there are places that lots of them. Is a I wonder though, mate, if you got someone who wanted to see where their meat comes from and they go to a, uh, an abattoir where a grass-fed animal... Just puts them off for everything. You know, and, and th- it puts them off for everything. But that animal has been looked after and fed and farmed a really uh, a beneficial way to the environment, to the animal and to the to human consumer. 
they see that and they go, oh, no, fuck that, I'm not going to eat meat again. But I bet you they wouldn't be then going to a feedlot and seeing how cattle are treated there. Mm. I reckon if they went to the feedlot and saw the way cattle are treated and, and farmed in that process, and then, then, they, then they saw at an abattoir a, a, a well-raised animal, a grass getting slaughtered, they'd probably aim towards the, the abattoir-killed animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't sway them to not eat meat because they would see the animal being treated better than the one in the f- in the in the in the feedlot. Yeah, mm. you know what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I kind of got a lot of respect for vegans that do it for ethical reasons. It's not for me. I couldn't do it. I believe we're meant to eat meat, but I do understand the argument of like an animal giving its life. I, I get it. I, I don't think the argument sort of really holds up to like intense scrutiny. But I do respect people that take that stance and they say, oh, I'm too ethical to eat another living being. Like, I get their reasoning. Like I say, it's not my reasoning. I eat a hell of a lot of meat mm. and I try to eat animals that have been killed uh, ethically. But I, I do kind of respect the vegan ethos. I don't respect the vegan ethos that says that, like, meat's bad for you and it's destroying the planet and you've got to do it for that reason. I think that is just completely shambolic and like, there's no there's – no, uh, like method to that madness, but it's I do kind of respect the ones that go well for like religious or just purely ethical reasons. I, I get that. Yeah, it's not me, but I get it. What about I, the, I respect? What it. about the ones that go? Oh, but I eat fish. <laughs> oh, mate, <laughs> where do you, where do you draw the line? You know, yeah. they say plants have got feelings, and mm. you know, mushrooms have got these amazing mycelial networks all communicating. Mm. It's like, where do you draw the line? You know, yeah. well, I'll eat fish, but not chicken, or I'll eat fish and chicken, but not beef, and I don't know, I'll eat. Pigs because they're stupid, but not cows. And <laughs> yeah, I reckon you either. Do you eat, know what I mean? You like, either eat meat or you don't. You know, I eat all meat, but I don't know. Even us, I guess you'd say I'd never eat a dog because they're man's best friend. Everyone's got their own little yeah. things, but it probably comes down to how hungry you are. Yeah, <laughs> still couldn't eat me dog. Oh no, not you. No, no. But there's dog, obviously dog, cultures. Your dog that, wouldn't have much meat on it. No, but I mean, there's cultures that do eat like you know horse, cat, dog. Yeah, you know different creatures, insects. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, the World Health Organization has said that to prevent climate change, we need to start killing our pets. They made yeah. an, some sort of announcement. It was in the um, some newspaper in the US. I think we also have to start eating insects. Yeah. Even though we're killing them at a massive rate and the world's yeah. insects are disappearing, but apparently we're all going to be eating a lot of bugs because yeah. um, that's the answer. And because farming them is so much better for the environment. Oh, totally, yeah. You can have millions of crickets yeah. in a little cricket farm Ooh. compared to um, cattle with less methane and CO2 emissions. Have you guys noticed the tendency, though, of the world's richest people to be buying up a hell of a lot of farmland, mm. including, like, large cattle stations and things like that? What's with that? If it's so bad, why are they buying it all? It's like every time I hear some mainstream media, which is pretty rarely, it's like, oh, yeah, Bill Gates has bought another 10,000-acre farm in Texas or something. Is this because they What's consider writing on the wall with CO2 trade-offs, uh, buying out um, your CO2 emissions? Well, like, I'm wondering if, like, is he going to buy all these farms and then just take them offline, be like, no more beef for you? Or does he understand the value of it? Or is it just a business decision? Or I, I don't know. I don't have any <laughs> interesting input to add to this, but I just notice it and I'm curious about it. Yeah. My first thought is because he's a grub, I reckon there's some sort of devious... <laughs> he wants to live in the soil. There's some sort of devious um, plot with him. I don't think he'd be like buying it all up to say, look, let's get some more cattle per, per, per acre or whatever and really regenerate this land and, and this... Nah, I reckon he's all about making fake hamburgers and shit. Exactly. He said that. He said that. So this article here, climatesciencenews.com, it's farmland for GMO food and biofuel because uh, in, this is 2019, Impossible Burger, which makes those 
chemical chemically laden soy burgers was yeah. facing a shortage of soy because it relied on farms that didn't use genetically modified seeds. So that comes back to Bill Gates's seed bank and the yeah. So the reason he's purchased this massive lot of farmland, mm. his quote: "The agricultural sector is important." With more productive seeds, we can avoid deforestation and help Africa deal with the climate difficulty they already face. It is unclear how cheap biofuels can be, but if they are cheap, it can solve the aviation and truck emissions. Nope. So he's looking at he's looking at bringing down the emissions by creating monocropped seed farms for soy, biofuel, and his impossible burgers. God. He's such a caring person. He, he's always caring about man. Africa. Hey? He's always looking yeah. out for Africa. I wonder if he makes a buck out of it. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. I don't know. It's all for the good of it, eh? Hey? Just does it yeah. off the goodness of his heart, I yeah. reckon. So basically all that farmland is going to be used for producing soy. Or Genetically, some sort of modified genetically modified seeds. seeds. Soy. Yeah. And stuff for biofuels. Wow. What's with so this yeah. thing about these seed banks and this like patenting of seeds and things like yeah. that? How can you patent a, a seed? Well, he's, yeah, they've... They, they've they're genetically modified, I get that. Yeah, they've es- essentially plucked out the component that is uh, resilient to weed killer, mm. glyphosate, and then spliced it and made it this... But what I mean is, how do we allow a human uh, to own a patent on something that creates food? Well, I think they're just doing it, aren't they? Like, are we going to get to a point where they'll start genetically modifying cattle? They'll say some bullshit thing like, oh, these cattle are 5% more resistant to climate change. Yeah. Some bullshit thing. I'll be yeah. like, I own cattle now. Yeah. Bill yeah. Gates owns the cattle patent. Yeah. Well, these cattle are re- resistant to foot and mouth disease genetically modified. Yeah. Where, where's the end point for this? If yeah. people can own patents on food, that's... um. That's concerning. Mm. I, I see where this ends, mate, is a, a two-tier society, not monetary-based, but ethical-based. I see people in one society happy to live in the, the hustle and bustle of the city and just go to the shop and get their organic or their GMO-derived food. Impossible burger. Impossible burger um, and save the planet, thinking that whatever they're doing is is, is right. And the other... Society will be one that lives out maybe in the fringes and lives in a community where it shares produce, uh, naturally grown, um, with no genetically modified um, uh, uh, influence, and and they, and they just live that maybe a healthier life. But the other people in the city may be he- happy as well, um, living that way. I just I just see that humanity branching off into those two distinct, uh, unless we're forced in some way uh, to to have to live under Bill Gates's rule and, and his sort of dogma of farming and whatever. I don't know. That's how I see it. I'll yeah. take the fringe lifestyle. Yeah. Bring it on. Again, and once again, people are going to vote with their dollar. You know, if Just you thinking the same thing, like, like you said that. there, if you people are happy living that way, they're going to live that way. If they're not, they're going to make a change. They're going to use that money. And who knows, maybe that little community that you go out to, yeah, you don't have a job. You have, it's a bit far out, really, but yeah, you're doing a barter, a trade system. Yeah, you're living on a, a big communal farm. Do we or you or you're living money for? Do or you're running a smaller farm. Yeah, and you're producing something, and the and your neighbour on a smaller farm produces something else, and so on. 
and then collectively you all meet in the town square mm. on a weekend. Fuck, you guys talking communism or what? <laughs> <laughs> in theory, communism works. Talking um, old school days. You know? Yeah, yeah. Talking community. community. But I just, I just think that this regenerative agriculture topic is one that is not it's, – it still seems – I think it's getting better, but it still seems a bit fringe, a little bit, um, you know, a little bit too far out and people haven't looked too far into it. I mean, that, that's probably what I was getting at with the, with the vegan concept was that peop- – and it's the same with anything really. People aren't looking too deeply into other things. You know, they're getting that superficial mainstream narrative of – Feedlot cattle is bad, so all meat is bad. But if we look at it and you dig down, you know, regenerative ag, the the benefits of of the the impact on the climate are huge. We're sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, and if we're thinking that carbon is one of the main contributors to global warming and the global climate change climate change crisis, then that is one way to fix it. You know, we're helping our farmers. You know, we're improving yields we're improving less reliance on chemicals and fertilizer we're improving the soil health you are improving the life of the cow or the ruminant animal that we're using a greenhouse reduction reduction in pesticides reduction in reliance on glyphosate and monocropping we can use different land that's not flat that's not ripped every tree out of it we can use hilly rocky land because these hooved animals have are designed to go up these hills they can eat the plant matter up on the hill they can walk down the hill we don't have to rip if you look at farmland you know to get those mono crops of grain soy wheat corn you've got to have flat land so that your tractor can run along it you've got to have no trees around you know the, the benefits of regenerative agriculture are massive. They are. And you've rattled off a heap there, mate. Mm. And the biggest one, human health. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Imagine, no, oh, imagine eat our population eating nutrient-dense food, really, really nu- nutritious food yeah. with no chemicals in it, no glyphosate, no fertilizer, no nothing. Imagine all these social ailment or ailments that we suffer, like mm. mental health issues, um, gut health-related issues, all these autoimmune conditions. Yeah, they could yep. be eradicated within a year or so if yep. if everyone went to consuming food from mm. regenerative farming. Yeah, imagine that. That'd be awesome. It would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you guys heard that saying now? Um, overfed, undernourished. Yep. Yeah, I was eating so we much. Just food, eat too much food. Too much yeah. food, but it's got nothing in it. Yeah. yeah, and if you look at like the reference uh, nutrients reference values for food that was assessed like back in the forties and fifties versus what it actually is today, the difference is staggering. Yeah, all our soils depleted of all its minerals, nutrients, things like that. We're replacing very few selective things because we know what we need to put in to make plants grow green, just your MPK fertilizer and a few other things, but we're not replacing. You know, all that, you know, zinc, copper, magnesium, all the things that's in mm. natural soil, mm. and it's just got nothing in it. Well, we wouldn't have to supplement with magnesium, would we? No. If I we weren't destroying the soil. Yeah, it's so a lot we've spoken about. I don't think if you live in a low-tox environment with healthy food, you need to supplement. Mm. But the fact is we don't live in a healthy environment, right. and we don't eat good food yep. all the time. So that's why I think we do do need to supplement as a society. Yeah. But, yeah, like you said, that's what that will be one of the benefits, like – and we do talk about voting with our dollar all the time. There are great places doing regenerative farming. 
There yep. are if you even if you're looking at Perth, I've talked about them before. Dirty clean food, I'm big on that. There's another one called Gin Gin Beef. Yep. Um, remember we had uh, Matt Kershaw on. He talked about one that was uh, in the hill somewhere. I think. Mm. Well, my brother and I, I maybe should have um, asked him about this before we started this podcast, and and, and maybe down the track it'd be worth getting him on to to back up this podcast again in the future but he's he's um, moved out of his um and g'day chook uh moved from his place in ballina uh, by the beach and he's moved um about an hour inland uh, inland west from from byron bay to run a farm yeah um and he's he's been there i think a couple of years now and and he and his wife are, have fully immersed themselves into regenerative farming um and and like chemical free fertilizer free uh, he's adjusting cattle, so people are, you know, paying him to an income to, to have their cattle on his land, and he's rotating crops. He's growing organic vegetables. Wow. How great and is that? Man. So he's he's done what we sort of talked about before. Yeah. I'd love to do that. I'm jealous. And he's had the balls, yeah, to go, all right, I'm going to make a living by the beach at Ballina. Far out. There's not many better places than that. Jeez, that's a rough part of the world. Yeah, I don't know how he yeah, manages yeah, over there. Yeah. yeah. So gone and and yeah, bit the bullet and gone. This is really what I want to do. I want to make a difference in the world. Yep. Yeah, that's they've amazing. got their own yeah. dam, own quarry, got heaps of land. Um, he just wanted his boys to grow up on a on a on a, some property um, yeah. and enjoy the outdoors and and yeah, they're they're loving it. And and his wife, um, Flo, she's uh, she grew up on a farm in France. Uh, in southern France, so she's fully immersed into that whole, you know, regenerative farming, um, traditional farming uh, pr- uh, practice. What a great start to life for his kids. Yeah. yeah, Far out. Yeah. 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 I'm heading over there next week, so I can't wait to uh, try some of his veggies out of his garden. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. Bit Get of, him on. Have yeah, we chat. should do, hey, because he said it's been a massive learning curve for him. He's learning a lot from other local farmers, which, again, you know, there's your farming network yeah. um, getting together. Um, he said there's a lot of work to do. That Every time there's something to be that has to be done or yeah. something has to be fixed on a, on a farm, like yeah. machinery and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It really is a massive full-time job, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so he yeah, actually uh, – Probably I think good he, for a bloke who likes to keep busy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think he identified some um, depletion of his soil. So he actually um, he had it uh, sprayed Tested. with um, organic, so like this organic uh, matter. Yeah, so yeah. he actually got that um, covered, the soil covered, and, and, and reincorporated those bacteria into yeah. his soil. Mm. So he's gone to a lot of effort to, yeah. um, to get it up to where he wants it, you know. Good on him. Yeah. I think they talk about now in the regenerative ag, like getting that um, diverse crop cover to start putting all yeah. the stuff back into your soil. So they say mixing between like, I think it's like between 16 and 30 different uh, species of like grass and weeds and all these things. And you spread it like as a seed and then that sequesters all a lot of good stuff back into the into yeah. the ground. Well, is that how canola started? Is that how a lot of canola farms started? Because they, they put canola into the, the, the resting paddock um, and, and whilst they grew their wheat, whatever, but then it became popular Just for canola. Overgrown. Yeah, be, well, yeah, it became actually a, a commodity, so they could use or well, farm canola for canola oil and and well, so. Because we need all that good omega six, so that we can. Yeah, yeah, being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, but I think it was, I I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought that was uh, where canola come from. It was used as a a sort of substitute resting paddock Mm. farm before it became a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. I have to ask Jimbo about that. Yeah, ask your mate. It's a super cool topic. Yeah, it's it's great, yeah. Mm. But, you know, we could do small 
very, very, very microscopic versions of it in our own backyard. Yeah. You know? Yep. And you can support these people. Like the barrier for everyone is cost, right, isn't it? Yeah. Like we look out for uh, – we try and buy almost all our food organic. There's certain things you can't get. And when we can, we try and buy biodynamic. But, man, it is so expensive. It's yeah. so expensive. Yeah. Um, but it's worth supporting. If you can offset, yes. you know, so offset if that you, expense by growing you, some of your own. If you Exactly. Exactly. But if you can afford to get it, you're not going to eat better food. Yeah. Like, again, biodynamic food has been proven to have more nutrients in it yeah. than normal store-bought food. So you're getting more bang for your buck. You're getting yeah. more actual substance in your food. And if you want to prioritise your health, you, you might have to spend a bit more money. Having yeah. good nutrient-dense food is good for your health. Yep. I know people that just do it for their kids, Yeah, which is really sad. Like, for a financial point of view, they take the hit and they say, I'll buy this normal food for myself and I'll buy my kids yeah, that makes me really sad to say that but yeah. at the same time it's ultimate sacrifice as a parent mm. to you know when you've got to start making those choices but it's a shame we've gotten there it's a shame yeah. that we can't have this uh, that we're not further along down the track where some of these um, amazing um, sort of regenerative biodynamic organic farms have popped up and we are creating better food yeah. we shouldn't have to make this choice around food yeah mm. I remember when I was a kid my grandpa telling me that uh, the situation with food when he grew up, even through the Depression and that, was you could always afford to buy meat and vegetables that were very inexpensive. And if you wanted to buy junk food, that's what was very expensive. Right. So he said, like, you could always eat clean food. You could always buy a roast, you know, vegetables, things of that nature. But if you wanted to buy, like, uh, processed food, that's where the big money was and that's where you had to make your sacrifices. Wow, hasn't that flipped on its head? Now, yeah. it's like if you've got no money, if you're a uni student living on bloody Oz Study, whatever they call it, you're going out and buying a box of Pop-Tarts and fucking yeah. you know, bag of Cocoa noodles. Pops and some two-minute yeah. noodles and some Raymond, but no one can afford to buy you know a lovely uh, pasture-raised, grass-fed, grass-finished roast, some organic vegetables. That's like crazy talk now. Yeah. Throwing yeah. an organic bottle of wine. Wow. Be a bloody yeah, yeah. $100, $100 meal. You yeah. know, like it'd be cheaper to go out and have yeah. a meal at a restaurant. But it just shows how we flipped yeah. in three generations. Definitely. My grandpa's generation to my generation because he grew up on a poultry farm. Yeah. Um, the changes that we've seen as a society, we're just so geared up now to eat crap. Yeah. Yeah, aren't we? Yeah. And we've just got that chronic health ep- epidemic and a lot of it comes back to what we put in our bodies. Yeah. So we've got to support these guys. Definitely. We've got yep. to support this. We've got to vote with our dollar, like yep. CJ says. It's so right because that's the only thing that gets people's attention. Yep. Yeah. And we there, is, there are solutions. There are solutions oh, out there definitely. and people are doing some great stuff. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's not all doom and gloom nah, like uh, we've been led to believe. And if we, yeah, use our money wisely, wisely put it into the good things that are going to help change the health and the environment. And yep. There's some good yeah. uh, Perth-based websites now. There's Perth Organics. Yeah. Uh, they deliver. Uh, so they're an online thing and you can buy a range of organic foods. There's uh, Dirty Clean Food like you spoke about. Yeah. There's a whole range of other organic websites that you can go yeah. through. There's co-ops now. Yeah. Um, there's co-ops in a lot of areas where you can join a cooperative and they'll order um, like organic foods in bulk. So you put in an order uh, in advance of time and then you can get it in so it uh, decreases the price. Yeah. They do it out of the Gigi Bakery, don't they? Yeah, there's all you sorts of ones up, up in the hills. Collect, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. If, you're, if you're tight on money, I know there's some people that run um, they run the co-ops oh, and yeah. then you can choose to either be involved in like the bagging up of it and the distribution to get it at the cost price or if you want to pay a little bit extra and just come and all your stuff's bagged up ready for you, then you pay a slight premium so some of those people actually get all their food for their family just by running a co-op, knowing that most people don't have the time to be involved, so they pay a very slight extra premium. 
still a lot cheaper than the shop. So there's ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Solutions. There's always there, a way. The markets yeah. are cheap often. Yeah. If you're not buying crazy exotic stuff and you're buying seasonal food, you yeah. can often get uh, food pretty cheap at the market. So Yeah. And there are small things we can do but that contributes to the greater good. 100%. Yeah. And contributes to your health. So you can do yeah. it for selfish reasons too. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, all right, another good one. Sounds like we've covered that off. Yeah, good it's an interesting stuff. topic, though. Yeah, really interesting. And like we say, pretty much every week, go out and do your own research, and don't just listen and be fed the mainstream. Get yeah. out there and do some digging. Yeah, don't, don't look listen into to that. us either. Research what we yeah. say could, could all be shit. Yeah. yeah, we're just a bunch of blokes getting together and doing our own research. But yeah. um, kiss the ground twenty forty. Yeah. Um, sacred cow. Mate, There's a lot is of them 2040 out about soil or? It's about a lot of, yeah, it's about regenerative ag. It's about um, the energy solutions and yeah. those kind of things. So it, it is, initially it's kind of starts out a bit doom and gloom, but then they put some, um, yeah, put some solutions in place. Is that, that are a, really str- a streaming service? I don't think so. Uh-huh. You might have to look that one up. Yeah. But it's quite a good one. Yeah. Um, the guy did... He did another doco, I think it was about quitting sugar. He did that one initially. Oh, yeah. And I think he's an Aussie actor. Um, and then he did this one, which is quite yeah. good. It, it didn't get – there was a couple of releases in cinemas, so you had to be sort of in the know to find out about it, which is a bit sad because I was going there already already on board. You want to get that out to the mainstream for everyone yeah. to hear it. but. Yeah. Hopefully, hope it may have been picked up by some streaming services and people have seen it. So looks like Kiss the Ground is on Netflix. It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if yeah. you've got Netflix, you can check it yeah. out. Or 124 minutes, 2040. I was wondering yeah. about 2040. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yep. But yeah, get out there, yeah. do your own stuff, and uh, till next time. Yeah, good to see you, boys. Good on you guys. See you next week, see you, lads. Yeah, enjoy Ballina. Get say yeah. out of Chook for us, and uh, yeah. Yeah, catch a couple photo. of barrels. Get some photos, mate. Yeah, we'll, I will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kissing the ground. Stuff. Yeah. See you, boys. Air guitars.